So why is it that I'm in this profession? Because I have chosen to be the hands of the Lord for the healing of the nations. And even as we introduced ourselves this afternoon, you could see that we come from a varied number of ministries. Indeed, if you are to count the number of people represented here, in terms of the population that you reach out to, you'll be having huge numbers of people represented. So it's like, how much are we, through what the Lord has given us in our organizations, reaching out to people you know, through holistic healing, not just of the body, but of the mind, of the spirit, of relationships, of social issues, and so on and so forth. Now, if you look at our world today, you find that we are actually a world in conflict. My specialization as a clinical psychologist is in trauma, although I see people from the whole string of other issues, from depression to anxiety to breaking marriages to mentoring young people. But I want you to look at the world and realize there is no part of the world that actually can be said to be absolutely secure and safe. Some of it is in conflict, some of it is high conflict, some of the shades show you. Like the lighter color is like uh, they're stabilized, the very dark purple is conflict, the next purple is high conflict, others are in drug trafficking, insurgency, piracy, ground artillery. You know, so it's like a world that there is always something we are reporting from time to time. If you're not reporting Egypt today, we are reporting Iraq, we are reporting a bomb found in Madara slums, we are reporting. So there's so much happening in our world today. Now, my call to care and counsel, because I want to make this actually more or less of my personal experience and why it is that I do what I do. In 1968, that's many years ago, Kenya was involved with a, with a civil war with Somalia. Now, I don't know how many of you are as old as that, but what happened in the northern part of Kenya is that the Somali people who were in Somaliland would come in as guerrillas and attack Kenya. And then Kenyan, uh, Kenyan forces, just as they are doing with Al-Shabaab, would push, try to push them back. Now, caught in between the Somalis and the Kenyan forces is a tribe called the Boran. I know sheepfold are up in that side, ministering. And some of you may have gone to Boran land. Now, so many adults among the Boran were killed and people were displaced. Thousands of and children, bereaved people, their livelihood were, were destroyed. Now, my response, I was then actually in high school, just a kid in high school. And my church would come and say, pray, yeah? Or send in resources, get involved. And I remember one time as the head girl of the school where I was at, I was also chairman of the Christian Union, our presiding bishop came and said, I am gathering food. I'm a Methodist. I'm gathering food to take up to, some, to, 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 to the Boran land. Can you people bring clothes and bring money? Um, and then in that evening service, I started looking at myself and wondering, what do I have in my hands? If I could count the amount of money that I had, I had only five shillings, Kenya shillings. It was then in notes, and it was a tiny, worn-out little Kenya shilling, five shilling Kenya notes, somewhere in my metal box. Okay, if I gave all I had, it would have amounted to five shillings. What else did I have? Did I have clothes to give? 
okay, I had my school uniform. I had a quite a one outfit dress that I used to wear to church on Sunday. And then I had a dress that I would wear to the garden. That was the totality of my wardrobe. How much was that? And so the Lord kept asking me, what do you have in your hands? And I realized I have my life. I have faith in Christ. I was already a committed Christian, having gotten saved at seven years old. I could offer my life, and I go to help those people. So I went to the presiding bishop, and I said, Bishop, you asked what we can give. I want to give myself. He said, ah, 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 Gladys, I, I didn't ask for volunteers. I asked for money. I said, Bishop, I don't have money. He knew me. Because a few years before, he had laid his hands on me and confirmed me as a lay preacher in the church. So he said, okay, I guess the church can arrange something. So after I finished my high school examination, final examination, my sisters got for me a job to come and work in the city. That was the thing then. You could get a job. And I told them, no, I am going as a missionary to Garebatula. They said, Gareba, what? And that was the beginning of a long life of actually serving the needy. So we went up there with a friend from the school who knew I was going, another young girl like me. We found an evangelist employed by the Methodist Church, and we worked among the dying children, feeding them, lifting the broken, the dead. It was such a sad, sad place. We started an orphanage there, planted a church. Today, that orphanage is a high school, and the church is a whole circuit of many churches under the Methodist Church. That was my first time of realizing I cannot walk away. Then Rwanda came, Rwanda burning as the world was watching. You might remember Rwanda genocide, murder, mass murder of 800,000 people. Within a period of 100 days, and as much as 20% of the total population actually was dead or affected or displaced. So question is, what happened in Rwanda? Um, why did Brother rise against brother in Rwanda? Where was the church? Where was the world? And so in Rwanda genocide, um, I was sitting in my office one morning, and um, a car drove into my compound. It was a United Nations vehicle bearing a red number plate. Red number plate. And I knew, hey, this is United Nations. What are they doing in my office? My office then was a tiny little office. Those who know Nairobi, I was then at the Nairobi Baptist Church renting a small facility. And so someone came out through the little reception. My secretary came to me and said, here's a note sent to you from United Nations. And then I opened it, and it was like, it read, Gladys Mwiti, come now to 680 Hotel, period. That was April 11 of 1994. So I went downtown, and I found, I entered 680 Hotel, it's just up the road, and I found the whole lobby was full of boxes and people. Then I remembered, they told me, do you, do, you remember watching, do you remember watching the news last night? I said, yes. That is when they had evacuated all the United Nations personnel from the hotel in Kigali. How many of you have watched Hotel Rwanda? Remember they were moving them, and they were singing that little song that always makes me cry? Na, 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 you know, it was a, a sad little song. Anyway, 300 UN staff were in the city, and they had put them into every available hotel space. And they told me, we have a letter here, a fax, from New York, 
that says that all this stuff must be debriefed or canceled or whatever it is, trauma therapy, before they're deployed. We have a room for you down the hall. You can go start. And that was my introduction to trauma. I called my office, canceled everything, and then started working with UN personnel. I was joined later on by two clinical social workers from Canada and the head of their counseling unit, uh, staff counseling, flew in from New York. We were four of us. Over three months, it was in and out of group work, you know, debriefing crisis management for United Nations personnel. At the end of it, I asked the head guy of the staff counseling from New York, I said, what is United Nations doing about Rwandans? You've really taken care of your staff. What about the Rwandan people? And I think that's a question the Lord is asking us today. What about the Rwandan? What about South Sudan? What about Somalia? What about Darfur? He told me, um, my assignment is to care for staff. If you want to know what's happening to Rwandans, you might want to try the United Nations High Commission for Refugees. Okay, I made an appointment that week. I was very, very tired after three months of working with these people, doing a report. But I went in there, and I met the regional head of UNHCR, headquartered in Nairobi. He told me, Gladys, as we do medicine, we do relief. Tents. If you want to know about trauma, you may check with the church. Okay. I called my brother, Reverend, Adi, uh, Reverend uh, Yosef Chipenda from Mozambique. He was then the regional director for our All-Africa Conference of Churches. Churches in Africa. I went to see my brother. What are we doing about Rwanda? He said, Gladys, we are looking for money for medicine, relief, food. You might want to check with the evangelicals. I made an appointment with the brother, Dr. Adiemo. Some of you know Adiemo. He was there, General Secretary of Evangelical Alliance for Africa. Brother Adiemo, what are we doing about trauma in Rwanda? He said, Gladys, you are looking for money for food and medicine relief. You might want to ask about vision. If anyone knows, it's about vision. Where's my brother for my vision? You are there. I want to audition. It was then Brother Mlai. Brother Mlai, what are we doing with the trauma in Rwanda? He said, Gladys, we are a relief and development organization. So every day I come home and I'm telling my husband, what's wrong with the world? Then we are watching bodies floating around the river. We are watching, it's like children that have seen their parents hacked before their very eyes. Churches have been burnt, bodies are scattered. Doesn't Africa cry? If this was somewhere else in the world, would they be having psychologists crawling over there? But it's Africa, right? Do we cry? Actually, reminds me of a story. I was sitting in a, in a California hotel, and I met a gentleman from a church in Southern California. And he came and told me, Gladys, please, you have to understand. I want to know, do Africans need counseling? Of course... I told him, you know, I asked, I asked him, do Africans have tear glands? He said, yes. I said, what do you think they are for? They are there for crying. So do we feel sad? Yeah, I think you feel sad. So do we need counseling and psychology? Yeah, we do. So 
That was rather. So I would come home, I tell my husband, what's up with the world? Then one day my husband asked me, okay, you keep asking everyone what they are doing. What are you doing? Me? Hello? I said, okay, I know. I have a master's in counseling psychology. I run Oasis Africa, but I don't have money. I'm a woman. You told me, I thought you had a God in heaven. I said, yes. So I went to my office. I told the staff, guys, let's pray. We started praying, and I started writing. I started putting together. I said, Lord, I'll take a book with me to Rwanda. I'll teach those people how the church can be mobilized to care for one another. I took the book and translated it in Rwanda because we had so many Rwanda refugees in Nairobi. I said, Lord, I'm ready to go. Two months later, I got a fax from Rwanda. I'd, I've never been to Rwanda. I didn't know any Rwandan. But I was invited into Rwanda by a bishop in Kigali who was running the very, very first pastor's trauma healing conference in Rwanda. And then began a five-year program in and out of Rwanda with a thousand trauma counselors trained and the country mobilized through the church to care. Question is, what do you have in your hands? Our model at Oasis Africa is what you call a ripple effect model, meaning train one, they train another. It's a training of trainers for care and encouragement of the church. I believe that every Christian is a Barnabas, is a son of encouragement. But then more often than not in the church, all we are doing is laying hands on depressed people and telling them, shoo, cast out the demon of depression. I believe in praying for healing for people. But how many women have had, had hands laid on them? They come to me in the clinic. Pastor laid his hands on me, and when the depression didn't go away, which actually is because I live with, a, with an abusive husband. Pastor didn't ask me about my family. He didn't ask me if I was raped as a little child. He doesn't want to know. He laid hands on me. So I went back to church. Not all churches are the same, of course. But I went back to church, the woman told me. And when I'm still depressed, you know what they told me? I've been bewitched. I have a curse. Every Christian is called to be an Barnabas. We talk of counseling at the clinic as three levels. Level one is the level of every Christian who should be trained in basic skills of counseling, even if it was only in the skill of listening. How many times do you go to a friend and you say, oh, like my sister there with a the baby, oh, my husband just ran away, you know? So she's been caring for my baby. This morning, I'm going to work. My baby is two months old, and the girl says, I'm out of here. Now, you're telling your sister, Sister Anne, talking to Sister Mary. What is Sister Mary's response? Oh, you talk about the house, girl, house girls? Mine ran away last week. Whose story is it anyway? So at least in the gift of listening. That's level one. Level two people are people who have gotten like a bachelor's in psychology or counseling, and they can organize others and train them and supervise them at the church level. Level three are professionals who can practice on their own with masters and PhDs. The church, the whole church is a level one. And the whole church should be trained to counsel, to at least care like the Lord does. So we host churches, we do partnerships, and on and on. And then we begin groups in the community like we did in Rwanda, where they learn to support one another. 
So Sierra Leone is another location. I was going to go to Sierra Leone. Now you know someone has said that in America, <coughs> blood diamonds, it's a movie quote. The blood diamonds movie quote says in America, um, it's bling bling, that's diamonds are bling bling, but out here in uh, Sierra Leone is uh, bling bang or bang bang. That's Daniel. So Sierra Leone, many Sierra Leones were disabled, they, were, they had their hands amputated, and um, so what was the response? We were out there once again empowering the church to cancel. The next slide, I had actually um, a little clip, a movie clip in the next slide, which I don't think is, is going to play there, um, but it would have played if it was my computer. But I was going to show you uh, how a church has actually rehabilitated some of the amputees, and they have come up with a football club of one-legged soccer players. That would have been a nice movie. You can go on to the next one. So in responding to Sierra Leone, the question was, how do we empower the church? Once again, training trainers with a ripple effect model. Christian counselors becoming missionaries of healing. Training counselors to work in schools. Many schools do not have any counselors at all. Many hospitals, nurses have not received any training at all in counseling. Medical workers, the same thing. Because we give, yes, the body treatment, but what about the soul? What about the relationships? What about the sadness that people bring with them? Basically, our call, if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to 7, you'll find Paul repeating the word comfort, comfort, comfort. In those verses, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, five verses, Paul repeats the word comfort 11 times. I was taught in English that you don't repeat the same word in the same sentence, but Paul breaks all the laws of grammar. And when God keeps repeating himself, it is for emphasis. Amen? And so comfort with the comfort you have received so that the comfort of God may be enriched in you. So the church is called to comfort. I had a, a child in therapy, 19 year old, just turned 19, a couple of years ago. She came to my clinic because she had called a radio station and said she was going to commit suicide. And so they said, before you hurt yourself, before you hurt yourself, can we get you to a therapist? She agreed. And so the radio station waited for her. She came on the bus driving an hour away from town. The parents didn't know where she was. She didn't want them to know she was seeking for help. And she came to see me. The story she told me is, I am a lesbian. I was in shock because you don't have any, many, many lesbians and gay people, at least not then. So a 19-year-old from a rural community, a lesbian, of course you start having all, you know, kinds of sickness in your mind. What's happening here? She said, I'm a lesbian. I said, and your parents, my mother is a pastor. She's a senior pastor in my church. My father is a church elder. And the women I'm living right, I'm having relationships with right, with right now, one of the women of the order of the other two is a married woman, a church deacon, a mother of two. What's going on here? As I talked with the child, she told me, 
My sister taught me how to be a lesbian from when I was eight years. And before then, my father used actually to abuse me. He has touched me, he has done whatever. My sister died when I was 14. Both of us were in the same matato and there was a horrible road accident. My sister passed away and I vowed I would not stop being a lesbian in the memory of my sister. But then when my sister died, they would be downstairs, that's my parents and the church guys, talking about the funeral and mourning and comforting each other. And I'd be in my bed, in my bed upstairs, hidden in the pillows, weeping my heart out. Nobody asked me what I felt after losing my sister. Actually, they didn't even want me to see the funeral, to go to a funeral, in case the memories of seeing the dead body might make me sad. They did know I was already dying inside. Question, my dear brethren seated here, how much are children involved in memorizing, remembering the dead in your church? Are children ever involved? The answer is no. They are left out because they are children. Comfort with the comfort we have received. As I share with you right now, a year down the line, she had broken free from lesbianism. The Lord had set her free. She was restored, and so on and so forth. Next incident, Nairobi USA bombing of 98. Again, you know what happened with the bombing. Um, I didn't want to get involved, but I ended up getting involved because we were just about to go to America for our studies. But I ended up getting involved. And the model we used was pretty much the Rwanda model training counselors and reaching out to almost 5,000 people that were not in hospital, but were what we call the walking wounded. We reached out like to Matatu drivers. In Nairobi, many Matatu drivers actually were the ones who took the dying to hospital, but nobody brought them together for the briefing on the loss. There were people that actually were relatives of the dead. There were others who were journalists who covered the incident. Journalists, many of them are in absolute trauma because through the camera they see things that are written in their mind forever. They didn't want to, see, to be seen seeing anyone. So they called me and said, can you see us in a private location so that no one knows we are seeing a psychologist? Um, so what do you have in your hand? So we did that as Oasis Africa and launched child services. Um, and so on. Burundi Saber War came. Go on to the next slide. Burundi Saber War, and we've been to Burundi in and out again, empowering the church to cancel. Burundi, we need to go back several times because we have materials and we need to partner with others and go on. So the question is, what do you have in your hands? Because um, in Burundi, we trained trainers, level one counseling, we have training manuals translated in Kirundi. And some of the pictures going on show some of the people that have graduated. I want you to look, focus, next slide, on, next, yeah, focus on the guy in the middle. Can you see that young man with dark glasses? Can you see him? Okay. That guy came wearing those dark glasses. This was like day one. Now, keep his face in your minds. Wearing dark glasses is like he was really hiding behind somewhere. And then we carried on with the week training. The second day, that day, that day I asked him, oh, no, I noticed in dining room, he did not eat meat. I asked him, why? All these are Christian people. You can even see the Catholic sister on the left. The Bibles are there. He was sent by a pastor, actually, to the seminar to come and get trained to go and help his people in the church. So I asked him, 
Why don't you eat meat? He says, anytime I see meat, I remember the chopped up bodies of my parents. That when I entered the room, blood was all over, pieces of their body were all over. I can't touch meat. I don't know whether the pastor who sent him knew that. And then we went on debriefing him, the memory of his dead parents. So watch him. As we moved on, there he is, holding our training book in the middle over there. His face is beginning to shine a little bit more. The glasses are still on. And then look at him next picture, giving a testimony. He is saying what kind of transformation he has received, what kind of healing he found in that seminar, and was ready now to go back and take the healing back to his people. There he is reading the Bible. He is now engaging with the healer himself. Because when they do the training, you connect them with the healer. Then when they go home, they can take the comfort back to church. And there he is. Look at that picture of the guy at the corner singing away. The glasses are still on, but he's singing. Look at the smile on his face. So these are people trained in Burundi, and they go on to a dismembered world. You call it a dismembered world. Next slide. And a world of betrayal, of sorrow, grief, poverty, kidnappings. And yet all these people in our broken world, the separated wife in the church, the co-worker who is really stressed, because one of the things we have found is that many Christians in the field are almost burning out. We did a seminar. We do lots of seminars with many organizations. We did a seminar some years ago with about 40 Christian workers from various places. I've just come from Tanzania from a seminar like that. And they told us that, because we went and said, they said, why are you here? Are you here to give us more skills in how to evangelize, how to plant churches? We said, no, we are here because we would like you to answer the question, how are you doing? I said, what? Nobody ever asks us that. And when you ask, how are you doing, you find marriages are struggling. You find people questioning their calling because they are burning out. You find people who have never been on vacation forever and ever because, hallelujah, we are serving the Lord. You find people with few resources and the sending organizations don't even visit them. You find places where member care is only for expatriate missionaries, sorry to say. These are people walking with you and I down the same road. So our response is, who is my neighbor? In what ways is my world, my nation, my family, my neighborhood at war? May not be Al-Shabaab, but people are not talking to one another. There is conflict in the church. I said I've just come from TZ. A Christian organization where you can cut Conflict with a knife. That's how high the tension is. These are guys who the Lord called from, from wherever they were into ministry. And they came to Tanzania from all corners of the world to work. And there in Tanzania, many of them are actually leaving the ministry and going to teach high school down the road. Because the conflict, the stress in that organization, you can cut it with a knife. Now, if there is so much non-caring within the household of faith, what is happening among the people to whom we minister? So what do you have 
in our hands. We can go, we can stay, we can listen, we can walk away. We can watch, close our eyes, we can pray, or we can disobey, or even obey the Lord. So we train pastors and Christian workers. We graduate them at Oasis Africa. And there they are, happy to go into the world. We send them out. And then they don't stop there. We train them to go into the communities and train some more. So these women standing here, this is Tanzania. They have been trained. You can see the folders there of Oasis Africa materials. And they are sharing the story of healing with their community, empowering the church in TZ to care. Still the same community. And then we also train interns. Because one of the things we do is our model, my model personally as a psychologist, is what I call an African three-legged stool model. On one leg, I'm a psychologist. I'm a specialist in human behavior. And psychology is truth. You know, many Christians, when I went to study psychology, they said, oh, you're going to study heresy. No, medical practice is not heresy, is it? Yeah? Architecture is not heresy. Why should psychology be heresy? So I'm a Christian. I'm a psychologist. That's one leg, understanding the science of human behavior. My other leg is my faith. I'm a committed Christian. I love the Lord. Psychology for me is my thermometer, but the healer is Christ Jesus. That's one leg. The other leg is I'm an African. There are many African values that I take to the clinic with me. The proverbs of Africa, the wisdoms of Africa. Those are the three legs. So we get interns coming to us. The other day, we are like three interns from Fuller Seminary, School of Psychology, where I graduated from. Others come from other places. We train them on how to have an integrated approach to mental health or psychological mental health. We also supervise. The others you see, you know, the lady in the middle, are psychologists working in Kenya or wherever. They come to us and we train them in skills of how to have an integrated approach to behavioral health. This is Oasis Africa staff. We have a powerful staff. They meet and strategize and they plan. So our tools then as Christians are this. As we talk about the church called to care and cancer's mission, we need to rediscover the riches and resources we have in Christ so that we can reclaim and rename our beingness as Christians. We need to realize that we are interconnected we are traveling along the same road. When I say interconnected, is I may not invest in mental health in my community, but the son of that home, where there is a broken marriage, will end up marrying my daughter. So I better get out there and actually spread the healing I know in Christ, the comfort to the community. Because we say in Africa that people are like a, a spider's web. When you touch one corner, the whole thing vibrates. So let's realize that the guy in the bar down the road is connected to me because he's in my community, reaching out for healing to those who may be doing alcohol and broken in our world. Recognize that pain and confusion among the wounded is a reality. And then invest my time, my prayers, my resources in training church-based counselors, starting ministries of counseling in the church in organizations, just like we have ministries for youth and for women and for children, let's have counseling ministries in our churches. And we are ready to help you in your organization if you are ready to go that way. And then having professional Christian supervisors who are helping them. In my church, we have such a ministry. Just finished training them last year. And I have four psychologists, Christians who are guiding the lady at level one 
in how to work in the church. And then they come to me when all else is difficult. And then reclaim our call to care and counsel as, as mission. So the church is called to be God's outreach. So the objectives is seek to become a channel of healing, go to objectives, uh, reestablish community connectedness, learn counseling skills, recognize brokenness, facilitate healing and reconciliation, and then enhance church and community resiliency. So basically the question is, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I hope you came here because your answer is, Lord, show me and send me. Now, friends, I say that sitting in such a seminar and in this uh, workshop here is very dangerous. So you are at risk by coming here. Why? Because you can never tell the Lord, I don't know the need. Right? So it is, Lord, what do I do with what I have heard today? So may our hearts break with whatever breaks the heart of God, and may the world be a better place because of you and me. I am a member of the Lausanne Congress uh, Care and Cancer's Mission. The Lausanne Congress commitment is the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. And so the question we asked several of us Christian psychologists the other day is, our whole is the church. If the whole church is to go to the whole world, the church had better be whole. But then sometimes we have as much brokenness in the church as in the world. And I'm sure you know the statistics that break, broken marriages, the percentage in the church is as high as that in the world. Meaning that we are not even caring for our own before we care for those out there. So check out our care and counsel as mission response in the Cape Town Declaration. The website is there. And then recently we came from India, the Lausanne Congress Global Leadership Forum for all the leaders in Lausanne movement. We met in India um, this year in June. And if you watch that YouTube, you'll see all the videos of what we presented. Mine is there, other people's are there. And just learn to catch the vision of what the global church is doing through the Lausanne movement to respond to care and cancer's mission. It has taken us a long, to come, a long way to come here, uh, to come there as a global team, global care and cancer team. Because many people in Lausanne are the old school, maybe, of evangelism, evangelism. When it comes to social outreach, many of us are not very strong. But then let's be very careful that as Christians, we don't get people really fitted for heaven, and they are absolutely of no use on earth. So let's connect people with the realities of today. It is real Christians who struggle in their marriages. It is real Christians who have children die. Like you know, Rick Warren, his son, committed suicide from depression. Check that website, it tells the story. So let's not run away. These things are with us. So beginning with me, my family, my community, my church, my world, may the Lord help us that the care and the comfort of Christ may flow. And if we don't know, let's learn the skills. A dear man, Kiyosaki, who has written Gifted Hands, says this, never make yourself an expert where you're not one. So check expertise, it's all over, and may the Lord bless you that you may introduce care and counsel in your organization, in your churches, and in your own personal life. God bless you. I'm done.